This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast and the penultimate in our mini-series of World Cup TSP pods. We're once again live streaming this on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter and Twitch. So if you're watching along, please do post your questions and comments and I'll aim to read as many of them out as possible. My name is Ben Stanfield and joining me on this week's podcast are the owner of Saints Web, Steve Grant, the Athletic Southampton FC correspondent, Jacob Townswell, and fellow sports journalist, Saints fan and TSP patron, Nick Harris. Speaking of TSP patrons, again, we'd love to say a massive thank you to all our patrons who support this podcast. We appreciate it incredibly. On that note, please don't forget that at 7.30pm UK time this coming Thursday, the 15th of December, we'll have our latest TSP VIP event. Open to all active patrons, details on how to attend are in your private Patreon inbox. We're also delighted to have NordVPN sponsoring this week's episode. Are you currently out of the country and looking for a convenient way to rewatch one of those classic Christmas movies? Well, we may have the perfect solution. NordVPN keeps your data secure on public Wi-Fi gives you access to the global internet and even allows you to enjoy your favorite streaming websites from anywhere in the world. Yes, even the ones showing all those festive films. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash total saints, where you'll get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four months for free. Even better, it's all completely risk-free as Nord have a 30-day money-back guarantee. Further details, including that link just mentioned, can be found in the show notes for this podcast as well as the YouTube description. Okay, a look ahead to this week's agenda. England head home from Qatar after suffering major tournament, penalty heartache yet again. Messi outlasts Ronaldo. Croatia shocked Brazil. And Africa celebrates its first ever World Cup semi-finalists. And, assuming my tie-keeping is up to scratch, with only a couple of weeks until Christmas, we may even quiz our panel on what Saints boss Nathan Jones could be asking Santa for this year. Underpinned by our TSP Global patrons, this is our World Cup special, Episode 3. Your home for everything Southampton FC. From dedicated Saints insight to exclusive interviews. Live on YouTube every Sunday and available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the Total Saints Podcast. 
Well, 24 hours on, the English Dusters started to settle on yet another tournament exit as France pulled off a 2-1 quarterfinal victory over Gareth Southgate's side, a game that mixed ongoing encouragement with all-too-familiar 12-yard failings. Steve, let's start with yourself, given you were there. We'll talk through some of the key talking points in a moment, but what did you think of the game and atmosphere overall? Give us a, a feel of things. The atmosphere was odd. It, it didn't really feel like a World Cup quarterfinal at sort of for for a lot of it i mean particularly first half it was it was pretty subdued and then kind of after half time I and mean, particularly sort of back end of the first half and then after half time when we we started sort of cranking up the pressure a little bit more everything kind of built up um but i think overall we were excellent i thought you play that you play that game 10 times and i reckon seven or eight of those you probably win with that with that sort of performance um, but the difference was while earlier in the tournament against the weaker opposition where we've been, ultimately the difference in those games was us being that much more clinical. Um, the same applies here in that France basically created three chances and scored two of them. So yeah, frustrating. And the one player you'd, you'd probably put your mortgage on in, in that England team to, to score a penalty blazes one miles over the bar. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I assume that one's probably still rising. To be honest, it's. Um, I mean, it was extraordinary that that given how confidently he put the put the first one away. I can only I can only think that he's kind of sort of outthought himself when he's running up to take that because I mean, think how many penalties he must have taken against Hugo Lloris mm. over over a number of years at Tottenham, and so Lloris knows exactly what his style is. He, probably has a good idea of where he's going to put it, which was, I was quite surprised Laurie's dived the wrong way for the first one. But then I think he's thought, well, okay, I I hit that first one well, but just to make sure I'm going to hit it even harder. And yeah, just, just got far too much on it. And I think that, that kind of relates to, I think something Kieran Trippier said uh, earlier in the tournament, I think after the, after the Iran game, that the ball was um, from set pieces was kind of flying around a little bit more. And I, I do wonder whether... I think there's a sweet spot of how hard you you have to hit the ball. If you hit it any harder, then you run the risk of it kind of flying all over the place, as as Kane found out, found to his cost. I think. Yeah, Nick, lovely to have you uh, along with us again. Thanks for joining us. Looking back at the game, then, were you pleased or surprised, or a bit of both, that uh, Southgate decided to stay with the lineup and, and tactics that had uh, finished uh, the game against Senegal? You know, didn't automatically go back into maybe a, a more of a defensive mindset. I'm pleased. I think it was the right thing to do. And I have to echo most of what Steve said about it being a good performance. I think it, it had worked very well after the sort of the tedium and boredom of the Nations League stuff and everybody thinking that England were total garbage. You know, personally, I went into this World Cup thinking that England had as good a chance as anyone of winning this tournament because the talent was there if applied properly. And I think Southgate, he's got lots of knockers, but he's he's a good bloke. I do think... Clearly, there are some faults with his management in terms of particularly timing of substitutions that people could debate. But he is a good manager of men and he's got he's got the right things out of those players. And the players who play for him, you know, talk about how well prepared they are, how confident they feel. So I'm glad that he went with the the 4-3-3, stuck with what had worked. It had scored lots of goals. It had had results. And it, and it did work. England England played well. It comes down, I know we've all heard this phrase so many times in the last 24 hours, fine margins. But, you know, you know when, when, you, when you lose a goal on the break to like the brilliant though it was from the French and then you miss the second penalty, that's fine margins. England, England could have, um, you know, could have, could have got something out of that game. 
they didn't. I don't think it's a time for sort of saying, God, they screwed it up again. It just wasn't like that. I mean, I was in the unusual position. I was working last night on the game. The paper that I work for has Jesse Lingard as a, as a columnist just for the World oh, yeah, Cup. Yeah. I've been working with him on his columns. I'll just give you a bit of a flavour of how, how it sort of went last night. The column, Jesse's actually in Athens. He was playing against Olympiacos, finished just before England kicked off, then watched the match, talked to him before the game, during the game, after the game. And he was just sending me WhatsApps as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's interesting talking to him because, you know, a lot of people maybe forget Jesse Lingard played six matches at the last World Cup. He's a World Cup semi-finalist. He scored a World Cup goal. There's only been 35, 36 players, <laughs> England players ever to play in a World Cup semi-final. And he's one of them and about 50 have ever scored a World Cup goal. So it's interesting to get his, his perspective. But, you know, we just go through what happened in that second half. You know, Kane scores the first penalty and he, he what's up, get in. Then it's growing into the game now. Then it's think we can catch them on the counter. Then it's Saka, Kane and Foden more confident now and growing into the game. Dominating this now, dominating it. A goal is coming. Three minutes later, Giroud scores. It's out. <laughs> Jesse texts me, FFS. And then the second penalty, I WhatsApp, OMG. He's going, watching now. Come on, come on. Ah, oh, that's it. I mean, that's it's kind of the roller coaster of of the game from you know the perspective of someone who's an England international himself, mm. who is invested as any fan, who really wants England to do well. And and again, I think he, he concluded in his column that you know I'm gutted. I mean, later on, two hours later, he just sent me a message, just gutted it. So it said like hours after, it's obviously still on his mind that England have lost this football match. He so wanted them to win. Yep. And, and and he said, look, I'm gutted and I'm frustrated, but, you know, I'm proud of what they did. And and I pretty much share that sentiment. Yeah. Just briefly, does his column now stop or does he do it to the end of the World Cup? No, no, we'll do, he'll do, he'll do one next Sunday, like a, yep. a wrap up of the tournament. Probably having had a week to think about it, he'll be able to say what England have and haven't learned, what mm-hmm, happens mm-hmm. next. Will Southgate still be imposed? Will he have yeah. left? You know, and, and obviously previewing the final between... Um, Croatia and Morocco. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Jacob, nice to have you. Uh, I know you've uh, mentioned just before we came on there, you've had a, a week off, so I'm sure refreshed and uh, ready to go. But um, we, we were talking on the pod last week about the sort of sluggish start England made against Senegal that first 35 minutes. And I actually thought they started pretty well last night. You know, they they sort of were going toe-to-toe with French. But, you know, it, despite starting well, they then conceded. And uh, there was obviously a lot of chat around um, the, the Saka foul down the other end. But, you know, a great um, shot and, and goal from Chuamani. What what did you make of those two incidents? Firstly, the foul, and then obviously the finish from him. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you'd usually expect a foul in that position. Uh, it was. I can see why where the referee was as well. He might not. He might have thought Saka went down fairly easily, but I think it was a foul, and it was a great uh, finish from Chuamani. I think perhaps could have been a bit more pressure on the ball, but uh, I was really pleased with how England responded. Um, I thought you know the ten minutes after conceding the. Sometimes they lose their shape, they lose their structure. You know, see Iceland as the example in 2016 after conceding the second one. But I was think I thought their reaction was really good. And to answer Steve's point, I have got actually one of the World Cup balls. And I don't know if it's just my quality, but most of my shots go over the bar, so I do think there's an issue with the ball. <laughs> you keep but, running around the neighbours asking for the ball, <laughs> yeah, back, you know? exactly. Yeah, but um, I just I just find international football just infuriating because of all these fine margins you know you go back to Euro 2020 if Thomas Muller scored that one-on-one if Rashford's got penalty mm. you know when it, it off the post and into the net you know we could be talking completely different and it's just those are fine margins all the time and 
England did very well after the Chiuamini's goal. Even after Giroud's goals, I thought they were okay. But mm. it's just those fine margins. And everyone knows that Giroud loves running towards that front post. And it's twice yeah. now in two World Cups where Stones, uh, I wouldn't say Walker, but mainly Stones, Maguire, they just a yard off. And I thought they had really good tournaments for you know, that yard makes all the difference. And it just seems that those fine margins never fall uh, England's way. And I think Gareth Southgate has done a phenomenal job. And I echo completely what Nick and Steve said. But I just feel with this current pool of talent, there's probably two tournaments now to maximise what they can. And you need a manager that's going to set on a formation because I would I would have wished Southgate stay with that 4-3-3 throughout the Nations League and worked on it then rather than just, just stumbling on it now. So I think yeah. Southgate's done a really good job, but perhaps time to move on. Yeah, we've only been going 10 minutes and we've already come up with a name for this podcast, which is Fine Margins then, so this <laughs> podcast episode, absolutely. Yeah. Steve, it feels very English, doesn't it, to be uh, picking on sort of, uh, you know, fouls and things like that. But I know it was up the other end from you because, again, we were having a quick chat before the game. Um, just before halftime, there was a bit of a, uh, you know, a foul from uh, Upper Meccano on Harry Kane, which, again, you know, looking back at it, looked like it could have been given. Probably one of those ones where if the referee had given it, it wouldn't have got overturned. He didn't give it. You know, it wasn't then necessarily overturned. And I know it was down the other end from you, but did you feel that was a penalty or was it one of those 50-50s that sometimes you get, sometimes you don't? I mean, I'd say it was definitely a foul. Um, it looked absolutely clear-cut that it was a foul, but the question is whether it was in the area. And I think from from what I... I mean, I've not not seen a huge amount. All I've seen is stills and you can't... I, I was, I'm always reluctant to judge anything based on a still image um, because it just doesn't provide the full context. Um, so you can't... Re- it's difficult to tell whether the whether the the contact takes place kind of on the line or just outside if it's on the line then it's then it should have been a penalty i mean the the main question for me is how the ref didn't see it was a foul in the first place because it just looked so blatant um even from where i was like 100 110 yards away i mean i've got good eyes i've got decent eyesight over over sort of long distance but even from there it looked pretty clear cut to me and there are a lot of there are a lot of sort of instance in the game where it just seemed that the referee's application of the laws was just wildly inconsistent. There was there was one where Saka was clearly um, clearly hauled down by, I think, three French players, and then literally five seconds later, the French get the, get the ball and, and run back. And Bellingham, I think it is, uh, comes in with a um, with a challenge from the side, wins the ball, and the ref decides that's a foul. And it's just like, oh, come on, mate, which which game are you actually watching here? Just utterly infuriated, and it's—I mean, basically, you've you've had fifty percent of the quarterfinals been uh, refereed by um, referees who just don't seem to have had any sort of grip on the game. Um, that that Argentina Holland game on on Friday night was absolutely extraordinary in the way that um, the Spanish fella Mateo Lejos managed that game. I mean, Messi should have been sent off because I mean he got away with basically punching the ball. Um, wasn't given, yeah. wasn't booked for that, which is mental, and then gets booked um, late in the game at the point where that free kick's given. So he shouldn't have been on the pitch for for extra time. So yeah, it's and I think South Gareth Southgate's right in what he said last night that we don't want to be talking about referees all the time, but when they have such an impact on the game in in that way, I mean Saka got the crap kicked out of him all night, mm. and he got no protection. I think I think he won what. One free kick and the penalty. Yeah, and I think that was yeah. it. And I mean, like I've seen people whinging about, oh, why did you take Saka off? Because he'd been limp he was limping for about three or four minutes before <laughs> before the substitution was made. Yeah. Um yeah. there was no way he could he could have stayed on there because he'd he'd run run his he'd run his ass off 
been brilliant and yeah he was he was causing the french so many problems but the problem was he was he was then limping so i mean how how much how much is that affecting his potential output the only thing i'd have said was probably bring rashford on instead of sterling because sterling's obviously only had one training session all week has obviously had other issues going on other issues in his mind which is absolutely fine no problem with him uh, needing to deal with those um but you've got to take got to take that context into consideration and mm. i think arguably that was southgate's possibly southgate's only mistake yeah yeah it's normally at this time isn't it where the uh, one of the red tops sends uh, the referees address around everyone or sends an umpa lumpa band outside his house don't they for the next few weeks but uh, yeah um nick i mean you still felt going into half time that england were very much in the game you know we started the second half really brightly i think it was about 45 seconds when bellingham had that brilliant shot that Lloris made a, a great save from obviously the sort of kept the momentum going for a little bit and then chuamani actually went from hero to villain bringing down saka for that penalty which at least with that one kane dispatched it nicely and it, it felt like just reward for that sort of five Five, 10 minutes before half time and five ten minutes after half time didn't it yeah and and by the time we got to that 70 minutes when England really were dominating the game and Jesse Lingard was predicting imminent goal but you know <laughs> it, England really did look like they were at it and and it did feel like there was going to be you know there were there were goals there it was working they clicked I mean there have been a few of the performances obviously uh USA game was pretty turgid some of the first halves haven't been great but by the second half England have been into the groove and doing it. So absolutely. The first penalty, I mean, it was absolutely clinical. He just buried it, which made the second one more puzzling. I mean, only Harry Kane will know, you know, what he was thinking, but obviously there's enormous pressure. There's so much riding on it. I mean, God knows what, you know, how any of us would fare in that sort of situation where you know that basically, you know, you're level pegging and in the ascendancy. The game was there to be had. I know I know, Kane posted today on Twitter that, you know, he was sorry and he, he takes responsibility because ultimately he messed up a penalty and, and it's his job to score those things. And he messed it up, you know, by, by blazing it well over. But mistakes happen. It's just really unfortunate. Mm. But absolutely, England were still in it, I think, until the end of the match. Because you know it was still there was still only one goal in it at that point, and mm. um, and 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 you could say they were unfortunate. I th- I think for me the the opening French goal it was clearly a foul on Saka. It just was an obvious foul, and directly from that, mm. you know that's what led to the goal. You had three or four of the French players, including Mbappe and Dembele, in the in the run up. It's a fantastic strike. It's what 27, 20 yards. It's flying at a hundred kilometers an hour or whatever. I mean, could Pickford have done a bit better? Maybe, probably not. It was a great strike. But that came directly from that incident. If it had been called a foul, which it clearly was a foul, the replays are absolutely clear. I don't know what was going on there. But without that, you know, play continuing, that goal doesn't happen. I mean, again, fine margins. Yeah, as as Saints fans, which we all are, I think we all sat there thinking, oh, that happens to Saints week in, week out, doesn't it? Yeah, it should be fouled down the other end and then we let one in. But uh, yeah, um, obviously we we touched on it, Jacob, there. The, the second goal as well, I think it was um, Glenn that was saying on the pod last week, you know, with all due respect to Olivier Giroud, who's now obviously the, the leading French goal scorer, not the best strike in the world, but he thrives on service like he got from Antoine Griezmann, you know, fantastic crossing. Obviously it was a, a disappointing uh, time to, for, for England to let the goal in, but, you know, that's a, a very sort of typical Giroud finish. Exactly, and I think moments like them win the World Cup. France, I didn't think were very good at all. I thought that they were, you know, they they were sporadic in their quality. I thought Mbappe was 
fairly quiet. I think there's yeah, one we foot did well with him, didn't we? Yeah, there's yeah. one foot race between yeah. Mbappe and Walker. And I really like that. But I think Mbappe crossed it and Rice just swept up, who I thought was really good. But it's just those moments that produce the quality. I think Griezmann was, was fairly quiet by his standards in previous games in this tournament, but he still produced that cross or that pass. Mm. And it's the same as Giroud. And well, that's what makes it, it probably you know, even more galling because mm. in it against Italy, I thought. Italy deserved it really on the balance of play. They ground England down. Their midfield was superior. Same with Croatia with Henderson, Lingard and Dele Alli in midfield, you know, getting uh, ran and ran and switched to side to side. But this time I just thought England were better overall. Mm. And it's just those moments that define international games and define World Cups and are the difference between us throwing pints in the air or going home crying and uh, getting in our car sobbing. And that's what happened (laughs) last night, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, Sengentali one says two bits of quality French magic beat us. Um, I think it's uh, not, uh, you know, um, certainly would agree with that. Um, Steve, look, obviously we, we touched on the second penalty a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, when all of us saw it happen, it looked like a penalty. Clearly, every single England player on the pitch thought it was a penalty. Um, when you watched it back on the replay, you thought there's no chance that this is going to be anything than a VAR monitor and a penalty. Thankfully, it was given. Um you know, obviously, Harry Kane, you could see, I mean, certainly we could on TV coverage, maybe you couldn't, Steve, the pressure that he was obviously under. You know, you could see that he was trying to concentrate and keep himself calm. Um, if It, it remind, reminded me a little bit of uh, Harry Kane in front of the Northern 2016, the way it sort of ballooned <laughs> over the bar. Um, obviously, the penalty spot wasn't quite the same. But uh, do, do you just put that down, even with someone like him, who is, a, you know, a proven, experienced footballer, you know, that's purely pressure? Or do you know, you put it down to anything else? Um, yeah, apart from pressure. the balls. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it. Yeah, it's part partly pressure, and I think I always think. I mean, I've, I've got I've got no stats to back this up, but just it kind of instinctively feels that if you're given two penalties in a game, there must be a really higher, there must be a much higher percentage chance of you missing that second one. Um, because the question is always in your mind. Well, okay, do I do what worked the first time and run the risk that the keeper kind of decides, right, okay, well, that's where they went, so I'm going to go the same again, or do you change? And, I mean, the one thing that, that coaches always tell you when, when you're practicing penalties and or when you're sort of discussing techniques for penalties, pick what you're going to do and, and stick with it. Don't change your mind. And I wonder whether Kane has possibly changed his mind a little bit, even even just in those few steps as he's running up, right, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a bit more pace on this because I think Lloris is gonna um dive the right way this time. And unfortunately, yeah, he's he's put a bit too much on it. Um yep. on the end of the day, if he if he puts slightly less on it and it ends up in the top corner in similar to the one that Harry Maguire stuck away in that shootout in the final last year, then I mean we're sat here having a completely different conversation. I mean, I might have been nursing an absolutely stinking hangover for a start. <laughs> there might have only been three of us, but uh, mm. yeah. Jacob, as often happens when you're losing a game, the, the sort of final few minutes and even in the injury time seem to go pretty quickly. Um, obviously, Marcus Rashford had that free kick right at the end that we were all willing to go in a bit like the effort against Wales. It it felt to me, you know, almost as a Saints fan again, that pivotal last few moments of the World Cup, all I was thinking was James Ward-Prowse territory. It was James Ward-Prowse territory, and I know a few people said, "Oh, he hasn't scored a free kick this season." But I would like to see an example where he had the opportunity from that position. Um, and I think that's what, one of the reasons why you bring Ward-Prowse. I'm not sure many managers go along with that that school of thought. Really, think of just bringing a player on for for a yeah. for a free kick. And bearing on, if he does score, he's going to be playing the next half an hour as well of extra time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just. I think everyone was just praying that went in, but I think it was a little bit too close, really, for for Rashford's uh, 
what style or free kick. I think the Wales one was a little bit further out, wasn't it? Which which yeah, suited him. But yeah, yeah. yeah I think, I'm and, sure and War, a poor goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure Wall Prowse was watching it with uh, Willy Caballero, obviously running around <laughs> ring, celebrating the night before and uh, wishing he was over in Qatar. Yeah, I, I obviously remember him scoring that one against Spurs against Lloris. Yeah. And uh, I, I seem to remember in England hockey a long time ago, they used to have a player called Callum Giles that they used to just bring on for uh, short corners. You know, it was like the sort of on and off. But uh, there you go. But uh, look, Nick, obviously that was that in the end. You know, it's France that go through to, to pray uh, Morocco in the semifinals. We'll have a chat about Morocco a bit later on. Look, there's been a lot of chat afterwards, Nick, about this being a missed opportunity for England, the amount of teams that have gone out, the way we were playing, you know, the fact with all due respect, it was going to be Morocco in the semifinals. Does it feel like a missed opportunity to you? Yeah, but I, I'd say that uh, the last World Cup was a missed opportunity against Croatia. <laughs> and, the one and, the, that. The final of, and the final of the Euros was a missed opportunity yeah. against Italy. This yeah. one is obviously a missed opportunity because you've got a group of really brilliantly talented players, squad depth, working for a coach they believe in, who who has showed that he's got a plan this time. And genuinely, you know, they could have they could have won last night. And therefore, I'm with Steve. I think the winner of of of, um, of that game probably becomes the favourite to win the tournament. Although it's been mm. such a crazy tournament, I honestly <laughs> think that anything could still happen. But yeah. So, yeah, the, the last three tournaments have been missed opportunities. That is kind of obvious. You know, these things don't come around so often. It, it's a missed opportunity. But this one, you know, I'm, I try to be a half glass full type person and looking at the positives, which is, you know, England played well at this tournament throughout the tournament. Mm. And they they lost a game against a team that are the current world champions and who are absolutely brilliant, despite having some fairly significant players missing at this tournament, of course. Mm. No Kante, no Pogba. Mm-hmm or seven regular stars are not in the squad and they're still brilliant as a collective unit so to lose to France there's no shame in that but is it a missed opportunity of course it is and who knows what the squad or the manager is going to look like in 2026 in in Mm. America and Mexico and and Canada but um, absolutely a missed opportunity yeah. And, and Jacob, look, I mean, again, you know, I, I think I, I sit here genuinely as disappointed as everyone else, but some might say more critical cynics maybe that England have played two decent sides in this World Cup. They played USA, who they threatened, uh, you know, rarely threatened. They played yeah. France, who they've lost to. But how would you assess the World Cup as an as a overall performance from England? Yeah, I think that's the same critique as the previous two tournaments, really. I think you see the Croatia, that was really the first team that England ran into that could cause problems. And it was the same. I think if this is how England performed two tournaments ago. I'd be quite encouraged, quite emboldened by it. But it's just England just keep falling short against these these top teams, really. And I think this was the opportunity for England to win it. When I looked on paper at the start of the tournament of all the other teams, they, none of them really looked like they were in their peak. You know, Spain, I think they had a really good game plan, which is quite one-dimensional, but they didn't have a striker. Belgium have passed it. France missing players through injury. It, it just seems to me that this was all geared for England to go and, and win this because uh, Southgate has had, what is it, six years now in charge. He's built the team. Players know each other. They've got understanding. So I was expecting uh, to to go deep. And the fact that it kind of you know, frazzled out in the way everyone expected, really, in terms of quarterfinals against France, uh, it's disappointing. And as well as England have played, and I think they played really well, arguably their best performance under Gareth Southgate last night. It just seems like this keeps happening and it's one too often for me. So. Um, it good, but I think there needs to be big improvements. But I wouldn't, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater for sure. Yeah, Steve. Final word to to you on this. Then um, you followed England here, there, and everywhere for the last X amount of years. Um, do you think it's a campaign that should be remembered positively? And and I think I probably know your answer to this based on the podcast from a couple of weeks ago. But Gareth Southgate still very much the the man to lead them over the next few years. 
Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a positive campaign. I think, I mean, as I, as I said two weeks ago, everyone massively overreacted to that USA game. It was just one one of those games we di- we didn't quite didn't quite nail it. But at the end of the day, they didn't. Other than like a couple of half half decent chance in the first half they didn't didn't open us up and we we shut the game down by bringing Henderson on naturally I mean I've been a huge huge critic of Jordan Henderson's in an England shirt because like up until probably a couple of years ago probably that Ukraine game actually in the in the Euros he'd not really put in a put in a performance for England mm. um for me I, he'd he'd kind of just been there as a passenger and um and not really done done an awful lot but since coming on in that USA game he basically ch- he turned that game shut the midfield down so they weren't the US weren't able to run through us anymore and then obviously Wales and Wales Senegal and and last night he was he was excellent a lot of energy um he was basically doing the Mason Mount role with coupled with the leadership um qualities that he's that he's obviously got so yeah i think i think it's a po- it's been a been a positive tournament. Unfortunately, for once, on this occasion, the the draw has kind of uh, worked against us, really, in that we've come up against the best team so early. Getting France in the quarters rather than rather than much deeper in the tournament is is unfortunate. And but it's, I mean, as ever, it's it's the luck of the draw, and it's a mm. essentially a one in eight chance that that happens in a thirty two team tournament. It's been a good tournament. We've played well. We've um, Southgate has clearly shown that he's learning tactically. Um, the way that we've progressed from uh, Russia, where we we obviously very obviously had no plan B beyond the the initial the initial strategy, when when that failed to work or when the players started tiring and the opposition changed their system, we didn't know how to react. In the Euros, we managed to go one step further. I actually think we were we were we were okay. we were absolutely fine for the vast majority of that final against Italy. Italy had two sh- two shots. And their goal came from a lucky ricochet off the post, which on another day that hits hits the back of Pickford's head and goes out goes out for a corner. So I think people criticising Southgate for for that Italy one, I think not not overly keen on that. But yeah, he's he's learned and like say this this tournament where we've had we've had this four three three system that um, I think people probably thought that we only went for that against Iran because it was Iran. It's like, well, okay, we could we could throw all the attacking players on here because we know that Iran are going to be very defensive. They're going to they're going to try and be very compact and deny us space. So, okay, we're we're just going to put more and more attacking players on and and hope that that pays dividends. And obviously, it clearly did. But then he he stuck to his guns and and st- stuck with that formula the whole way through, and and it worked against all manner of opposition. And I mean, to be let's be honest, you've got to say it probably w- it worked against France. It was just, it's just not been reflected in in the final result, which is unfortunate. But yeah, I mean, for for me, Southgate stays. I mean, the the FA aren't gonna, FA definitely aren't gonna sack him. Um, absolutely no chance of that. But it's going to be his decision, and it will be basically, does he feel that he's got the energy for it again? I guess. Yeah. But with a relatively short turnaround, because of course we've only got eighteen months till the Euros in Germany. The the detail with international football is all about controlling the game, and that's why England have got good. Oh, under Gareth Southgate because we have learned to control games. We've learned that actually we don't need to go gung ho. Gung ho is the way that you end up getting picked off, um, and that was the mistakes we always made. It was always glorious failure because we'd we'd be attack minded, but then we'd just be really naive and get and get done by by anybody half decent. Whereas here mm. we've we've been good, we've been pragmatic, and we've had a proper plan. We've been tactically on the money and. 
we've controlled the bits that we can control. You can't legislate for uh, missing a penalty from the guy that you would absolutely put your mortgage on. Yeah. Um, yeah no, so that's, that's where we are, I think. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, touch on the semifinals then just briefly. Um, first up, Argentina ranked third in the world against Croatia ranked 12th in the world. Nick, I'm going to ask you about Sofian Buffo in a minute so you can have your uh, your moment to talk about him instead. Um, so, Jacob, let's come to you on this one. Um, obviously, Messi versus Modric um, looks quite a, a tasty battle. Certainly both of their semifinals, you know, Argentina-Netherlands was a proper classic, which I think we all enjoyed a bit of everything going on. Balls in the dugouts and, you know, yellow cards here, there and everywhere. And, of course... Croatia knocking out Brazil, which was a bit of a shock, but you know they are absolutely a, a very dogged side. You just know with Croatia, they are not going to roll over easily. So it's, it could be a really interesting tussle. This it's going to be interesting, but God, it's going to be attritional, isn't it? Oh my <laughs> word! It's going to be Croatia's you know, midfield three trying to keep over the ball because they haven't got the legs. Then you have got Argentina's team who are all legs, and I don't think they've got that much quality in midfield. I think Rodrigo de Paul runs twice as much as Messi, but he's not very good it's on crazy. the ball. Yeah, yeah, his um, energy is amazing. Messi walks though, doesn't he? Yeah, but everyone knows that. But I think it is going to be. I think it's going to be a grind. I think it's going to go into extra time. I think that could be a pretty, pretty much a banker, really. Um, but I'm really impressed by Croatia because I watched their first game against Morocco. I think it was, and I thought, mm. I thought this team. I thought they're going to fall like Belgium. I thought that was nil nil, wasn't it? it was, yeah, it was like ages ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I think there's one shot on target. Um, I thought this team are too old now. They look up. They're past the sell-by date. They need some new blood in there, and they just mm. managed to grind out. Don't know. I think Dea Lovren's been unbelievable. To be honest with you, I well, don't we can't. I'm, no, we're not. I don't think I've seen this podcast. I don't think yeah. I've seen him like that since the first. Six months at St Mary's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're a good side. But I think Argentina, yeah. Steve's alluded to what the hallmarks of what makes a good international team. And I think Argentina have got that, but they just got a bit more aggression and a bit more mm. know how. And they're not naive like uh, like England are. I think you see mm. the first point. And we go, so just to go back to England's point, yeah, uh, yeah. the, the Saka uh, foul in the build up was the only time in that half Kyle Walker actually overlapped. And look what happened on the, on the counter. So, mm. Um, mm. but yeah, I think Argentina have just got that grit and something about them that I think will over uh, override Croatia's uh, lack of legs, but ball dominance, really. Yeah, no. It Two very emotional right. teams as well, yeah. isn't it? I don't know how yeah. much emotion um, Argentina have got left in them because every game, it just they seem to be I'm crying. sure they'll find some. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it must be absolutely exhausting supporting <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah. Well, I mean, they literally, if they'd lost to Mexico, they would have gone home, wouldn't they? And and now, obviously, here they are, you know, and it's, it's yeah, it's just, I mean, they are one of those teams, as you say, I mean, they're obviously being well-backed out there, you know, there's lots of Argentinian fans, so it'll be interesting to see how that, how that goes. And then, of course, the second semi that none of us will be paying any attention to now, Nick, really, will we? We'll all, we'll all be doing other things on Wednesday now, but, uh, of course, France <laughs> ranked fourth against Morocco, who ranked 22nd, as we said right at the outset, you know, the first... African team to make World Cup semi-finals so you know credit to them and I think if we're all brutally honest as I said there we're going to be uh, rooting for them and uh, Sophie and Buffal now aren't we? I think so I think I think just the sort of the the, the way they play it's quite exciting to watch going forward their defensiveness you know the defence is is solid I think in nine games now they've conceded mm. one goal and that was an yeah. own goal against Canada. So they haven't had an opponent score against them for nine games, including five yeah. in this tournament. Buffal, obviously, we had him at Saints. He, you know, he scored a nice goal, similar style to um, uh, Chris Marsden's famous yeah. dribble down the wing. I was at that game, Portman Road, against, yeah. Against yeah. Ipswich, except in real speed, not in walking football like Chris. <laughs> Didn't scuff it over the line with his wrong foot, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you know, I don't know if you saw the clips of Sofiane Buffal with his mum last night, uh, yesterday. You brilliant. Know, that yeah, kind yeah. of joyfulness that they brought, you know, that this sort of, I think, I think they are 
you know, they're groundbreaking. This first team from the continent of Africa in a World Cup semi-final. You saw the pictures from the Jannar El Fanar in Marrakesh. Mm. Tens of thousands of people just exploding with joy. The, the scenes of people in London and New York yeah. around the world, the Moroccan diaspora. It, it's kind of, I think, it was, you know, we all we all enjoy an underdog. And, and they've proved themselves to be, you know, who would have thought at the start of the tournament that two teams from the same group, Croatia and Morocco, would end up as two semi-finalists yeah. to potentially meet in the final. It's, you know, it's, it's bonkers. But have they got a chance against France? I think in this World Cup, absolutely they, they do. I mean, France mm. France have been at times scintillating, but they also have had, they've had off days where they haven't been scintillating. If Morocco don't concede a goal... Well, then... all the pressure's on France, isn't it? Exactly. Know, there's no pressure on Morocco. Exactly. There's no pressure on Morocco. They've got freedom. They've got this far. They haven't got this far by accident. So it's, you know, I'm I'm assuming France will be the strong bookmakers favourites, but I backed Morocco to beat uh, Portugal, for example, because I I just thought the defensive solidity, although it gets a bit helter skelter, they just, they haven't conceded. Mm. And and it is going to take something special to beat them. So yeah, you'd expect France to win, but I would not be surprised if Morocco found a way. And and in the other semi-final, like um, you know, Jacob was saying, it is guy. You know, Messi, as we know, the guy's a genius. He produces amazing things. But the longer we go on with Messi, I'm, I'm, it's weird, but he can leave me cold sometimes. Despite him doing these amazing things, I just he's not. He he just doesn't have that. You know that I don't know. He's like he's he's a bit dead, but. but behind the eyes you know he's a brilliant football of course he is but he hasn't got that dynamism for example you know when Maradona dragged an Argentina team single-handedly to World Cup and the narrative is Messi can Messi drag him he's not doing it in the same way he's producing moments of magic but um, you know Croatia again this whole another extraordinary tale how the hell do Croatia get to this semi-final everyone's been talking about them looking tired since the first 10 minutes of the opening match you know heard someone else a great line it was like you know when you've got the croatians down you don't need to just stamp on their necks you need to get in the car and reverse over them to make sure they will not come back and do you because they never they're never yeah, yeah, yeah. well Cro- so, croatia were croatia were tired from the first game in 2018 weren't they and then they yeah. went through all the extra all the time the and penalties final, yeah, and everything yeah. there it's just like yeah. and now, we, and now I mean, got, we, we we don't learn and and they've got half a team who who actually qualify for their football pensions already you can collect your pension at 35 so it's it's extraordinary i wouldn't i wouldn't bet against any combination of finalists i really wouldn't yeah, and if morocco yeah. do it i think i'm pleased for morocco i'm pleased for, for the arab world um I, I you know i never had a problem with the world cup being in an in, in an arab nation or anything like that but my opposition to qatar was based on other mm. things to do with the, the vote and all the things that we've rehearsed but i mean i think a world cup i've been to morocco a few times it is a properly football mad country. It's only been mm. professional football there since '96. They've come on leaps and bounds. That would be a bonkers World Cup, staging mm. a World Cup in Morocco. Yeah, and I think I think that's good for Africa, good for the Arab world, and good for football that Morocco have got this far. And I'd love to see them do well. It, it would be extraordinary. Yeah, indeed, as you say, for all the wrong reasons for the World Cup, Morocco absolutely the reason that uh, you know we all love these sort of tournaments. So uh, good stuff. All right, well to finish up, then let's spend uh, five minutes or so having a quick chat about Saints. Uh, firstly, an update on today's action: uh, the Saints women's team unfortunately losing two 0 in the FA Cup versus Championship rivals Bristol City. A shame, but still plenty to play for this season. Um, secondly. As I mentioned in the introduction, Steve, at time of recording, it's exactly two weeks until Christmas now. Um, Nathan Jones may be 49 years old, but I bet like the rest of us, he still writes to Santa. Assuming he does, 
What do you think is going to be top of his Saints list for this year? A new striker in the January window or something else, Steve? Yeah, it's got to be a goal scorer, hasn't it? It's, I mean, you can you can realistically improve the defense defensive unit. I think I think there's there's enough raw material to work with, but at the end of the day, you're not necessarily going to get by with nil nils. Mm. So yeah, I think getting getting someone who can take the chances that we create because I mean, as I've said before, we create plenty of chances, we just miss them. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the the new the two the two um, those two big defeats, Newcastle and Liverpool, we won those games on XG. Um, the chance we created, and we've lost seven two on aggregate. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So yeah, uh, final third, final third productivity has got to be uh, on the Nathan sort of first first item on the on the whiteboard to tick off. I think. Mm, yeah, Nick. Um, you know, if you're Nathan. Jones coming into a, a new brand new team, but you're languishing in the relegation zone. Is it a striker for you or is there something more shiny than that? No, no, it's got to be a striker. I mean, he'll obviously go back to the list they had in the summer, Cody Gakpo and Ramos. <laughs> 200 and million, say, here you go. Easy, easy, easy deals to do now. Get, just get these two across the line. <laughs> Probably get both available. of them, yeah. They were available for what, 12 or 13 million euros in the summer and that's gone up tenfold, so... Yeah, Although the Portuguese lad was terrible yesterday, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he was. He was, but <laughs> that's probably brought his price down again. That's good. Having scored a hat trick, you know. But do they want to? You know, they've got they're going to have Champions League clubs after them now. Are they want to go into a relegation battle? Of course not. So you just have to trust that the the scouting system is there. It's got it's got to be a striker for all the reasons Steve said. We're not having problems creating chances. We're having problems scoring goals. I mean, you know, if we had got a striker in the summer, we might have been looking at a completely different season. Instead. We're mm. 10 days away from a Carabao Cup match, you know, that looks, <laughs> this has got banana skin written all over it. And then we're <laughs> playing, and then we're, and then we're playing, no, no, I don't expect, of course I expect us to beat Lincoln. But then we're That's playing. my next question, to build it up with Jacobs <laughs> around Lincoln City. Come on, build it up, Nick, come on. Well, yeah, right, of course I don't. But then I think the next Premier League match, isn't it Brighton? Yeah, yeah. Boxing Day. Right, yeah. Brighton have got about 20 players who've been brilliant at this World Cup. And, and like, <laughs> It's just not, it's not going to be easy. So we need to, and that's before the end of the year, before the windows open. We've got six or seven games now against teams that if we're not winning those games, then we are properly going to be in a relegation battle. And that's just not somewhere we, we want to be. So yeah, it, it's goals. It's a striker. That's it. I mean, the red, I think, you know, we know we're the youngest team in the, in the division uh, by average age, average starting lineup. Um, we started one lineup one of the lineups earlier this season was the youngest Premier League uh, starting eleven since Fergie went with a bunch of teenagers about six yeah. years ago. It was like 23 or 24 or something. So we know how promising some of these players are. And we've talked and listened about about on the pot on this podcast about about the pitfalls of, of going for that youth. But but yeah, when it comes down to it, it's goals. We need someone who's gonna create, you know, convert the chances. Absolutely. You can take the football away from Saints fans, but you can't take Saints fans away from the football, can you? So uh, there we go. Anyway, Jacob, it's only 10 days until Saints play Lincoln City in the Carabao Cup. Now, are you excited about the uh, imminent return of football to the South Coast? Because Nick is. <laughs> I am. and I, Nick's got me worried now because I'm thinking... I'm, He's got I'm us all taking this as a, Yeah, I'm taking this as a safe passage into next round. But I I think obviously a striker is really important. But for me, I wouldn't mind just seeing a number num, number 10 or a one a winger that's got 1v1 oh. skill. That is a little bit different because... Lucky Glenn's at, not on, Jacob. Yeah, because I look at all the Slams as attackers and all identity. I think, all, you know, there's nothing that can create out of nothing. Maybe a doozy, but he's raw. I, I wouldn't mm. mind seeing a winger. And I think Slams and are uh, looking at a, w- a winger and a striker. Hopefully, that's the best case scenario. So uh, ideally, something just to get 
get me out of my seat. Maybe like a Sofian <laughs> Buffel type, maybe. But um, yeah, Lincoln, I'm 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 banking on that to be a nice, uh, joyous uh, piece afterwards. To be honest with you. Good, good. All right, excellent. Well, uh, that's it for this week's episode. Um, don't forget that you can follow Total Saints Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. It's just at Total Saints Pod. There's also our website, totalsaints.co.uk. We're also on Patreon, where you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution if you'd like to. Just visit patreon.com slash Total Saints Podcast. We have four tiers ranging from £5 to £20 per month. Each comes with their own perks, including weekly shout-outs for those patrons in our Francis Benali and Mick Shannon tiers. So a big thank you, Dave Melton, Mark Atkins and Matt Hall in the Francis Benali tier, and also to Colt Baker, Ed Busy, Dave Ernsberger, Nick Hingston, Phil Cook, Matt Rose and Nick Reed in our Mick Shannon tier. My thanks to Nick, Jacob and Steve for their time and views this evening. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. We'll be back next Monday the 19th with reflections on the World Cup final and a look ahead to Saints versus Lincoln City as the emotion, which has already started on the pod tonight, of club football returns. Until then, thank you for listening. Catch you all soon. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.